Hello, church. Good to be with you again this weekend. We're looking forward to leading you in worship. You know, I was thinking about the losses um, that we're experiencing during this season of lockdown. And for some families, the losses are uh, cataclysmic and, and, um, and really threatening and continue to be that way. And we continue to lift uh, you families up in prayer for whom that is a reality. Um, for some, it's just irritants. I miss baseball real bad. Um, but something happened this week where we finally had to let go of something on the calendar that hit me deeply. Um, for the first time in 18 years, uh, there will not be an agape tour this year. We have been trying for weeks to uh, see if we could just extend it out and see if still we could put something together. And what if we went later in the year? And finally, we just had to make the decision that it wasn't going to happen. And it really bummed me out. It really hit that loss hit me hard. Um, so for you Agape students, I just want to reach out and tell you that we're thinking about you and we're sorry for this loss of time. And um, I just want to reach out to the Agape kids or anybody who's watching this who've ever gotten to sing in a choir and invite you to remember what we worked on, even just this year, and stand on the balls of your feet and soften your knees and breathe deeply from your diaphragm and feel the tone rising all the way through your chest and out through your forehead. Raise your eyebrows and smile. If you were in agape any year in the past, you're reading this, man, you get to lead your little church in worship. So uh, we're going to sing two out of our three songs this morning that you know, and uh, let's get at it right now. lies beyond the stars Those dazzling heights too vast to climb I got so high to fall so far But I found heaven as love swept low My heart beating, my soul breathing I found my life when I laid it down
Thanks so much, Chad and worship team. I love when we come with a spirit of worship. That was awesome. Thanks so much. Hey, folks, I'm so glad to see you again today. We have just a couple of things you should be aware of. First of all, I hope you're tying into all the options for you to be involved with these various Zoom meetings. We have the women's meeting, the men's Bible study. We have junior high. We have high school. So all of those you can take advantage of. But there's a special one Sunday night. 8 p.m. with the risers. We know that marriage and COVID-19 maybe hasn't done so well for you, or maybe you're thriving. We just want to get everybody together and uh, check in. So it's a marriage check-in, marriage essentials, on Sunday night, 8 o'clock. Then we are so blessed with the way that this church has responded, and there's so many of you that have been so faithful in our giving And so as I do this again, uh, just use this one. Thank you so much, folks, for how you've been blessing the church through your giving. You know all the ways to give. You can mail a check in. You can pay online. You can use our app. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your faithfulness. Then one last thing. We have partnered with a number of our organizations, uh, and we want to make sure of all the resources that you can pass on to other people. So if you'll go to our website, there is a page to download there from the Conejo Cares COVID response team. And uh, you can take a look at it, plug in. There's so many ways that you can serve and help your neighbor. And now let's hear from Adrian. So let's see what's happened with our kids this week. Thanks so much. Well, hey, families. We have a new challenge for you this week. And this one is for everyone. It's an all play. We're calling it the ABF Bake Off. So we'd like to see what you've been doing, what fun treats you've been making in your kitchen. So if you're so lucky to be one of those families that has yeast, we're excited to see those amazing bread loaves from you. I know we've got some great bakers out there. We've got Hazel. We've got Mary Beth. We've got Kelly Moore. High expectations for you ladies. And kids, I want to see those cookies. I want to see those cakes, whatever treats you can come up with. And then please send me your selfie of you and your baked item. And let's just say that you can't finish all the things you bake. We videotape on Thursday nights, so you're welcome to stop by, drop those off, because we wouldn't want anything to go to waste. 
Well, for the next few moments, I just wanted to focus in on the kids. And I know this has been a tough stretch that we've been all we've all been in. And so I thought it would be appropriate for us kids to take some time to pray. So kids, if you wouldn't mind, can you bow your heads and fold your hands, shut your eyes, and let's pray together. Dear Jesus, we thank you for who you are and your great big love for each of us. Jesus, we know you are near to us. We know that you are surrounding us, but it's hard. These days are really hard. And so Jesus, would you be so near to us? God, We've, uh, we've been away from our friends. We've been away from our church for a long time now, and it's been difficult. So, Lord, would you give us strength where we feel weak? Would you come close to us when we feel so far? Would you help us even when maybe we've been disobeying or maybe we haven't been following what our parents want for us? Help us and forgive us for what's going on, even behind the scenes in our lives. Jesus, we need you. We need your help. And so would you be near to us now? And Jesus, give us the strength. May we put our trust in you more and more. We love you. And all God's children said, amen. Well, right now we have a super fun video for you. It is the food raffle video. And let's see who's delivering food this week. Oh, Christopher. It's time to film the next raffle video. I'm here! You're not Chris. Dude, they had a baby on Monday. All right. The Kerners had a baby on Monday! Woo! Hey guys, check out this sweet pick. Wha-blam! All right, everybody, it is time to spin, wait. John, you've actually never done this before. So let me explain. It's actually pretty complicated. So first, Josh, what we're gonna do Josh, is- Josh, Josh, Josh. Yeah? You don't think I'm smarter than a fifth grader? I don't know. I am. Let's spin the wheel! All right, Johnny, give it a good spin. Here we go. <laughs> Let's spin the wheel! In and out! Excellent! All right, now let's see who is getting some delicious in and out today. All right, here we go. We're pulling it out right now. We've got the Gatsa family! The Gatsa family! We'll see you soon with some in and out. Vamanos! Seriously, why does he get shotgun? Seniority. Obviously. No. All right, we're here at the Getzes. This is gonna be up. Let's go. They got a ring. Fancy. What's up, Getzes? You guys are the winners of the ABF raffle. Awesome. We have some in and out for you. Thank you so much. Thank awesome. you so much. Hey, so we have a couple of questions for you. Yes. First of all, what was one highlight from Mother's Day? Um, oh, I had such a great day. Yeah? Breakfast Highlights. in bed. Breakfast in bed. Oh, it's great. How can you beat that? Yeah. Uh, Ethan, question for you. Hey, uh, is there a favorite dad dance that you would like to see Pastor John do? Yeah, I want him to do the floss. The floss? Absolutely! Let's see this. You gotta be kidding me. Hey! Enjoy, guys. Thank, Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you. 
church. It's uh, fun to see each week these highlight videos and opportunities to maybe bless a few families in our church and especially opportunities to see uh, John's uh, sweet dance moves. And uh, so uh, grateful for that. Well, we're uh, continuing here this evening or morning, wherever you're at, in Second Peter chapter 3. If you wouldn't mind getting your Bibles open, that would be so helpful. A lot easier to follow along in these studies if you're with me in this section of Scripture. Well, in the past few weeks, I've had a a number of conversations about how uh, current events tie in with end times prophecy. I don't know if you've had some of those conversations just wondering, looking at scripture, how does maybe famine and plague that are supposed to be the birth signs of Christ's return, maybe the increase of natural disasters, maybe conversation in scripture about movement towards one world government, universal currency, a mark that's going to be on your wrist or on your forehead that is needed in order to transfer goods and services. There's a lot of different things that maybe weren't on our tip of our tongue maybe a couple months ago are now part of the conversation. Many, though, laugh off some of these things as if they're just other conspiracy ideas like much of what we see on Facebook. But instead, here's the difference is God's word actually speaks about them. And here's the thing about God's word. It's actually a news source that can be trusted. Now, trust me, timelines for end times events and even some of the specific details that we see in Revelation and some of the Old Testament passage, I'll I'll admit, are quite fuzzy and often hard to interpret. So I'll stick with what I am confident of here in our section of Scripture today is the crystal clear picture that's painted that this world is winding down and we are approaching Christ's imminent return. That's the reality. If there's any truth that I was going to stake my claim in, that would be it. As far as some of the the timelines and details and connecting events, I'm not quite sure. I might have some uh, opinions, but the one that's unmatched is the coming return of Jesus Christ. Did you know that 23 out of 27 books of the New Testament refer to Christ's return? Out of the 260 chapters in the New Testament, it's mentioned 300 times. And this section of scripture that we're about to study here today is just another one of those passages pointing to the return of Jesus Christ. Peter points to his return. He points to the dramatic destruction of the universe. He points to man's deepest, darkest sins being exposed. He points to coming judgment. You know, just another light Mother's Day passage. This shouldn't evoke, though, when we talk about this subject, fear. It should instead invoke excitement. It should be something that that stirs our passion, that, that moves us to more of a sense of urgency. And that's what I'm praying happens in our study here today. Let me pray before we begin in chapter three. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to gather around your word and how it keeps on hitting us with topics that are so relevant to our current circumstances. I love how you intended that, that it would be alive and and vibrant and working in our lives. And so we invite that now. We invite you to take over the remainder of this time just in your word, that you'd speak to people, meet them exactly where they're at, we pray, in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
So chapter three in 2 Peter, it begins, and remember this is Peter writing his final words from death row, if you will. It says, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you. We all remember 1 Peter. Beloved, it says, in both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So again, Peter setting up his very final section of his final letter to the church. You notice that this is something that would cause his, his listeners to perk up their ears as they, they're realizing this might be the very last time they hear from the rock himself. You see here it says that he refers to them as the, his beloved so he's compelled by love. And what does he say that he's trying to do? He's trying to stir them up, stir them up. And we're seeing if there's ever a display of Peter's dynamic personality. Now, obviously, the Holy Spirit is directing the content of this letter. But you're getting a full glimpse of Peter's fisherman personality that comes bold and strong. He's wanting them to remember what they've been taught in the Old Testament and also what they've seen presented from the apostles who were presenting the commandments of Jesus himself because they had spent time with Jesus. So what does it say that he, they, that he wants them to remember? He wants to, them to remember what was taught about Christ's return. doesn't say that specifically, but you can see it in the context. He refers to or prophesizes that scoffers will be coming in the last days. Now, the last days refers to the entire time period between Christ's first coming and his second coming. So we're obviously in the last days. These scoffers that he's been addressing, these false teachers, if you will, will mock the idea of Jesus' promised return. You see their words. It says, where is the promise of his coming? And they will point to things continuing as they were from the beginning. In other words, this is the idea. Since it hasn't happened yet, it will never happen. In other words, the extended delay voids the promise itself. Imagine if that were the case, though, if an extension and delay, it made me think of this meme that I saw this last week. Maybe you guys have seen it before, too. If a man says he will fix it, he will. There's no need to remind him every six months. This idea that just because he's delayed doesn't mean that it's not still going to happen. Well, Jesus obviously isn't a forgetful husband. It's important for us to be reminded that Christ is coming. Just because it's been delayed doesn't mean that it's still happening. And it's a dangerous thing, if you think about it, to neglect this part of God's word. You see, if we hide behind that deception, if we hide behind that lie, it's basically a certificate or permission to sin. It's basically a, a green light to say, if there's no accountability, then I can do as I wish. Look what it says in the text. It says that they were following their own sinful desires. 
When there's no consideration of his return, there's no restraint on current pleasures and disobeying. There's no penalty for what's to come. Think back to your high school days. I know specifically in mine, one of the things that was the number one cue that somebody was going to have an inappropriate party was what? When their parents were away. Soon as you heard that someone's parents were going to be gone for the weekend, well, let's hang out at their house. Why is that? Why is that the case? Because we know when there's an absence of authority, when there's an absence of consequence, when there's no looming, hey, mom and dad are going to be home soon, kids are prone to go all kinds of crazy direction. Similar for us. When there's no, when there's no possibility of, hey, mom and dad might be home any minute. My wife and I joke about this a lot of times when we drive home from the church or are coming back from something. We'll give a quick phone call to the kids, and often when we've left the house, we have a list. Maybe you do this with your own kids, a list of some of the expectations for them to utilize their time wisely, right? I don't know if anyone else has that issue with our kids, with your kids, but we sure do. And uh, a lot of times we'll give a call, hey, how's that, how's that list going? And it's shocking to us in 15 minutes on our drive home how much they can get accomplished knowing that mom and dad are about to get home. The same idea and same principle is true. But the scoffers are the people that mock this idea. And believe me, it can also happen in the church. You have people say, well, who knows when it will be? Hasn't every generation thought it would be their generation? And they kind of push it off as it's somewhere in the distant future. But if you think about the argument that they're making, they say he has not come yet, so he must not be coming at all. Think about how silly that argument is. He has not come yet, so he must not be coming at all. It makes me think of how often that's the famous last words of exotic pet owners. It's never been bitten before. I don't know what happened. Like, are you kidding me? If it says, if he says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. I, I don't know why that 20-foot anaconda decided to squeeze me today. I don't get it. The idea is if God says it's happening, and here he does, he's clear about his return throughout New Testament and Old. Peter responds to their false conclusions. Take a look at verse 5. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly." What does he start with there? He says, they deliberately overlook this fact. So what is it that they shut their eyes to? What is it that they ignore? Basically, in this section, Peter points out two cataclysmic events in history that validate the coming or final cataclysmic judgment that's on the horizon. First, he points out to the first one, he says, you're ignoring that God brought everything into existence from nothing by just his word. 
You might remember in our study in Genesis that God first created the earth and it was covered with water and then he brought the land into existence. He created it just by speaking. That was the first evidence of his involvement that things aren't just going along as they always have. The second thing that you see there in the text that he points to is the most dramatic consequence for sin in the history of mankind where the inhabitants of earth other than Noah's family were destroyed by a global flood. This demonstrates that our God is not inactive, but he intervenes and holds man accountable for his actions. So now we're told more specifically, it says the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The current earth is awaiting destruction by fire. This is talked about in Isaiah. This is talked about in Malachi. This is talked about in Revelation and also here in our text. As much as we want to resist this idea, there's something in our heart that actually cries out for this. There's something in our heart of heart that cries out for justice, for all of this chaos to be made right, for people to be held accountable for their actions, basically for there to be a fresh start. That's what God ultimately does, destroys the existing earth and creates a new heaven and a new earth. That's what he promises is on the horizon. But there's been postponement in that. Take a look in verse eight. But do not overlook that this one fact, beloved. Again, he loves them. That with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, Peter seems to be anticipating the question that every parent that's ever gone on a road trip with their kids understands is eventually going to come. How long till we get there? He understands that we've got to be asking that same question. How long till Christ returns? When is it going to happen? He explains a little bit to us. He says, listen, God plays on a different timeline than us. To him, one day is equivalent to a, a thousand years. You're like, well, that's great. Well, that doesn't help my situation. If he knows that we are operating with time, why doesn't he just accordingly? But take a look at the reason why God's waiting. It's not because he's powerless. That's not because he's indifferent or distracted. It's simply because he's merciful and patient with mankind. He's patiently waiting. You see it in the text that he's patiently waiting because he doesn't wish that any should perish, that all should turn to repentance. In the meantime, he just keeps knocking on doors. My very first uh, job, actually, I think it was my second, was in uh, high school, and my job was working for Sears. This was an embarrassing job. I had to do telemarketing, and I had to call people that had purchased appliances and ask if they wanted to extend the warranty on their appliances. Yes, I was that annoying guy. But I remember in the instructions that they had before I started the, the job, they said, listen, you have to understand, it's, it's a numbers issue. If you keep on calling, eventually somebody is going to say yes. 
I never forgot that. I was like, uh, just the, the, uh, the law of averages. If you keep on knocking on that door, if you keep on bugging people about extending their appliance warranties, they will eventually cave in. Think about that concept as it relates here. That's our God. He's like, oh, I just, I just love them so much. If I keep knocking, if I, if I keep uh, sh- showing myself to them, if I keep pursuing them with my love, I don't want anybody not to turn. Think about it just for a moment, even in your own life. How many of us would have missed out on God's grace if he would have returned 50 years ago? How many would have missed out on God's grace if he would have returned 40 years ago? How many would have missed out on God's grace 30, 20, 10? How many of us, because of God's patience, has been rescued by his love and grace? You think about that, even some of us with family members that have come to know him even more recently, God's kindness, we wouldn't have wished that he came any sooner than he has. He reminds us of that here in the text. Points to the last reminder of his coming return in verse 10. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. It refers to the day of the Lord here. The day of the Lord is basically throughout scripture talking about Christ's coming, his second coming uh, since he left after his resurrection. As confident as I am about that coming, I'm equally confident that nobody knows when that will be. They say, Pastor Scott, but there's a lot of people that have pointed to a lot of prophecy and can, can point, pinpoint a lot of things. But here's the reminder. Jesus himself told us that no one knows that we're going to be caught off guard. It says in Matthew 24, 36, it says, but concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the son of man. And two men will be in a field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. In both of these passages, it points to the idea of a, of a thief coming. A thief never announces his arrival. Most often it comes as a shock or surprise. Just a couple of weeks ago, our neighborhood had somebody go and break into a number of cars down our street. And I remember as the word passed down the block to the neighbors, everybody coming out and checking to see what had been taken. And one guy we felt really bad for had a bunch of tools taken as it affected his livelihood and others just smaller items. You think about that kind of a surprise. You, you never saw it coming. You, you weren't anticipating it. He's saying that's what Christ's return is going to be like. He presents the possibility, though, that you can be on guard. 
watching for it, living as if that's going to be happening. You see the couple of things are going to happen upon his return. The first one is not necessarily a, a popular topic, and there's a lot of debate over timing of all of this, but ultimately, the earth will be destroyed. The heavens and the earth, they'll be making God starting new. Sometimes you get to a point with something where you're like, this is just so messed up. I just need to start over fresh. That's what's going to happen with the heavens and earth that have been under the weight of man's sin for generations. The other thing that we see that's coming is that man's works will be exposed and he'll be judged accordingly. Imagine that for a second. A day is coming where everything will be out in the open. No more conspiracies on the internet. No more questions about who did what. No more uh, assertions about what somebody did behind closed door. It's all going to be brought to the surface. And guess what the reality is? Guess what the reality is? We're all going to be guilty as charged. There's no one without sin. All have fallen short of God's standard. And there's going to be a payment that's owed. The question is, what do we do when we stand before Almighty God and give an account when our actions have been exposed? We will either stand before him with no defense. So many people, this is their plan, and I don't think it sounds like a good one. So many people have the plan to stand before Almighty God and say, yeah, but look at my life. Look at the scale. Look at how the, the good outweighs the bad. Is that really what you want to come with before the righteous judge of the universe? Say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to neglect, I'm going to say no to the provision of your son that came and died for me? I would suggest the much better approach on this day that's coming, that's on the horizon, is to humbly come before God and say, I can only come before you because I've accepted the finished final work of Jesus Christ on that miserable Roman cross as payment for my sin. So what is your approach? You see, there's two different people in their response to this. First, for the unbeliever, this is the invitation. There's no reason why right now, while you're watching this random guy on a video from Agora Bible Fellowship, that you can't humbly call out to God. Acknowledge your sin. Admit that you need rescue through Jesus Christ. You can even do that in the quietness of your home. You can do that in your car, wherever you're at in these moments. For the rest that have maybe already embraced Christ, the response to this, the appropriate response to this reminder that Christ is coming and judgment is pending is it allows us to keep our focus on the eternal and not on the temporal. If there's ever a message that I believe we need in our current situation, that is it. We need something to get our eyes off of the circus that we're surrounded with, at least I do, and get our eyes on the bigger picture. It should be something that we're excited about. Can you imagine, believer, if in our lifetime, if you were the one, the generation that got to skip death and to be immediately brought up to be present with the Lord, to be ushered into eternity spent with him. That sounds amazing. It should also compel the believer to an urgency, a, a passion for sharing about the grace that, that we've experienced with everybody that we know and care about. 
So often I feel like this is the passage, this is the big idea that passages lead to and ultimately conclude with, but really that is the hope that we have as a believer. The question is, how will we respond to it? Have we grown numb to it or will it continue as Peter prayed, be some, being something that compels us and motivates us and makes us passionate about our days ahead? Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this section of scripture and how often we're pointed back to the amazing hope of your return. For the believer, that's something to be so excited about. It's gonna be amazing to be with you, absent of, of pain, of sickness, new bodies, new earth, new eternity. God, we look forward to that day so much, being present with you. For the person, as I already mentioned, that maybe hasn't ever bent a knee, my prayer continues to be that that knock, that knock would continue and they would respond to this invitation. We pray that in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Corinthians 3.16 says, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, 
are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen, church. Well, soon and very soon. I pray that that's a compelling force, a driving force in your week ahead. God bless you. As usual, any way that we can serve you, feel free to reach out. Have an amazing week.